Hi, I'm Judith Moore and you're listening to the Paraglider podcast from theparaglider.com. This edition is about dust devils. Terrifying on launch and near the ground, they're also sources of lift for expert pilots, namely in competitions and cross-country flying. They may not be a feature in many northern parts of the world, but fly in some parts of the US, France, Spain, Portugal, etc. And the chances are you will encounter these scary but beautiful spectres. I've been up close and personal with one, but more on that later. There have been many stories about pilotless gliders being lifted up in dust devils to fly around and land perfectly by themselves, as was the case with a story of an Ion 4 that was lifted on Lijar in Algodonales and went XC, and which was the only glider to reach cloud base that day. For each of these stories, you'll hear five of pilots injured in or by dust devils. Neither I nor my interviewees, Matt Senior or Jesse Williams, are advocating that you use dust devils routinely. You should never do so unless you have a great deal of height above them and you're an expert pilot. However, it is useful to hear from experts about how to recognise them, what to expect and what to avoid at all costs. Matt and Jesse fly in Chelan, Washington State, which is one of the most famous places for dust devils and where I first encountered giant ones. We'll go into why that's the case in a minute, but first a short explanation of what they are and how they're formed. The Scientific American describes them as small rotating columns of air that we can see because of the dust and debris they pick up from the ground resulting from a mini-weather system that occurs when one piece of ground heats up faster than the ground surrounding it on a hot, calm, dry day. They're also defined as heated thermal sources that should have been triggered but have become superheated so that when they do release, they do so with a surprising vengeance. Dust devils can occur in many areas, but are usually not visible unless they pick up items of dust, hay, plastic, etc., Some flying airs are famous for them. In this podcast, I talk dust devils using Shalan as a particular example with Matt Senior and Jesse Williams. Jesse's a pilot from Bellingham near Seattle. He's a two-time expert and one-time ex-alps pilot who has competed in various competitions in the US. He's currently working towards becoming a paragliding instructor. We start our discussion on dust devils with a recap on various stories, tall or otherwise, We've heard about them, which illustrate their power. There was a dust devil who ripped through Albertanales a couple of days ago and picked up an iron four. And it went off on its own and flew around for an hour and a half and did about a 20k triangle and then landed back on top. So <laughs> what did it pick up? Just a glider that someone wasn't clipped into? Yeah, glider and harness. <laughs> and it was the only one, the only glider to get to cloud base that day. <laughs> Did it have an instrument on it so people could actually see the track log, or were people just keeping track of it visually? Just keeping track of it visually, because the pilot was on uh-huh. the ground going like, "Oh my god!" So they they were chasing yeah. this thing all round. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I've seen yeah. a video of it of this glider just flying around with without anybody in sure. it. My favorite story from a friend who flew in Chelan a lot was he flew into a big, really pronounced dust devil. I think he was a ways up off the ground, but he knew it was going to be kind of a wild ride anyway. 
and he went in the Dust Devil. It's really turbulent entering it. Um, he got bounced around a lot, and then he was climbing really fast. And, and as he's flying in this Dust Devil, he sees a green tumbleweed with uh, a dirt ball on its roots floating by him in the in the middle of this Dust Devil. So I wasn't there to verify it, but the tumbleweeds are the things you see in the old Western movies, the kind of a big bushy weed that when they dry out, they roll and tumble in the wind. But what he was talking about was a, a green one that was still living, wasn't dried out yet, and it brought a chunk of dirt up with it on its roots up, who knows, thousands of feet up in the air. Shalan's a pretty classic dust devil place. Kind of the general wisdom I'm told from pilots who fly a lot in the area is that you probably shouldn't approach a dust devil if you're lower than 1,000 or 1,500 feet, which is going to be three to 500 meters, something like that. But if you're above that height, the general thinking is you can go ahead and fly over the dust devil and they make good uh, thermal markers because obviously in order to form a dust devil, you have to have a pretty solid thermal above it to kind of create that upside down whirlpool. For the European audience, it's probably worth describing what dust yeah. devils in Shilan are like because they're not like the little things that we get here. These are massive. I've never seen dust devils like it. And yeah, so the dirt is supposedly it's the, the there's a lot of really fine dust in the soil, and obviously Shilan's really hot and dry. And so there's just enough fine particulate matter that on a good flying day with strong thermals, you can see dust devils towering. I don't know that I've ever seen one going a thousand meters tall, but I'm, I'm sure it's happened. Matt Senior is a guide, instructor and competition pilot originally from New Zealand and Australia, but has been living in the Seattle area for many years. And this is where he learned to fly. He's been a national team pilot at top level competitions, as well as being a meet director himself. He has extensive experience of paragliding in the Shalan area, as well as many, many other parts of the globe. Here he is telling me about his experience with dust devils. One of my favourite places to fly is Shalan, and obviously that's really famous for dust devils. And I think that's in a big part a function of, of the type of soil out there. It's very dry. When you walk around in the fields, you know, you're up to almost your ankles in a very talcum powder-like material. And... Flying around out there, when you have clouds and dust devils and lots of terrain clearance, it can be really easy um, to fly because you've got the clouds for information and dust devils as well. And when I first started flying out there, like everybody, I was very cautious and nervous because I didn't really understand them. The thing that I was told, the rule of thumb about dust devils, was to try to stay about 500 feet or 150 meters above the dust devil just in case it was super turbulent or uh, wanted your wing up into a position where you had to throw your reserve, at least at that height you would have the altitude to deploy your reserve and um, disengage your main canopy. So, so that was kind of like the rule of thumb that was given to me going into it and sort of something that I've tried to observe over the years. I've had some really neat experiences flying around above dust devils and flying into them. But I think some of the most fun experiences I've had with dust devils is driving through the flats and seeing them. Dust devils are probably like a fingerprint. You know, no two dust devils are the same. There'll be times where you'll see 
one dust devil, like a corkscrew with three or five of them dancing around it, or you'll see a big group of dust devils working around in a circle. They're just so unique and special, and to drive past one and see it interacting with the soil is, is, is a really neat experience. Here's Jesse again. Dust devils are really dangerous when you're launching and landing. I suppose when you're landing, the fact that the dust devils make the strong thermals very visible um, is actually a good thing because you have a better chance of seeing a strong thermal that might be near the area you're trying to land compared to a another hot, dry environment where there's not that much, much fine dust. So it is good that they... Uh, they show you the, the strong lift. And then, like, t taking off at the Butte and Chelan, there's definitely some old rules of thumb I've heard kicked around that lots of pilots, their method is, you'll, the dust devils will roll right through the launch on the Butte because you're taking off the top, you know, which is right in the prime thermal trigger area. I've heard of people having a rule of they sit around on launch and they wait till so they see one dust devil roll through and then they immediately get in the air because they don't want to wait around longer because the dust devils just keep rolling through more and more frequently. And you can you can usually see them coming, but kind of a scary thing when they start coming through frequently, you realize how how many strong thermals are powering through launch that could that could really make your launch go badly. Yeah, um, I remember seeing massive dust devils on on the Butte on takeoff. Yep. And, uh, you know, and especially if you're already clipped into your hang glider, you know, it's incredibly scary. I mean, I know it's, Absolutely. Really, I know it's really scary at a paraglider as well. But interestingly, in um, in La Ragne, which is also a very famous flying site in France, they've actually uh -huh. got metal tie downs that are cemented in and have been for, you know, 20 something years so that hang gliders can actually tie their nose down so that if a dust devil yeah. does come through, they don't lose their wing. Yeah. Um, um, well, actually, I, they they have a similar system in Chelan now. There's there's actually a whole bunch of big, heavy steel cables that are fastened to the ground every so often that provide the same thing for hang gliders to tie down to on the butte nowadays. I've also seen somebody taking off into a dust devil, and um, just horrific to watch. You know, accidentally, because yeah. obviously in France you don't have that fine dust in the particulates so you don't see them exactly and usually you hear them first you know it's, yep. it's a yeah, that kind of whistling sound yeah and that very sort of it's not just whistling but that sort of kind of like the sound of a flickering flame almost or whatever just yeah as it's coming through the bushes and the undergrowth it's sure, kind of like, yeah. like hissing nearly hissing whistling yep. kind of thing and yeah you can hear it first and you think where where's it going to come because it could be like three meters from you and absolutely no influence at all on, on your gear or yeah. it's heading right for you and when you can't see it it's pretty scary yep. and i've seen somebody taking off and the, the dust devil must have just been coming up the hill but in those days i still only flew hang gliders but to watch a paraglider fall out of the sky like that was just horrible yeah. horrible to watch because there was just nothing he could do you know and, and just the wing just yep. went whack and that was it luckily he wasn't badly injured but he gave himself a hell of a well, he gave everybody a hell of a fright I and, bet. <laughs> um, and it must have been a dust devil. We can't, none of us could have explained it any other way. Yeah, I think there's more of them out there than we realize. I've been in the Alps, and I've kind of heard that whistling kind of sound that I associate with them a little bit. 
and I've looked carefully, and I've uh, there's a couple times where I think there was just a small weak, you know, not a dust devil because there's no dust in the in the Alps, really. Mm-hmm. But I could see the grass, I could see the wind pattern kind of swirling on the grass, and just see little bits of grass kind of being sucked up into this thing. But the behavior of the dust devil or whatever you want to call it is also, I think, correlates to the strength of the thermal and how tall the thermal is. And the Alps typically don't have as big and tall and strong a thermals as in Chelan. So I think to a degree, and, and there may be many other factors too, I'm not an expert on it, but I've never seen as strong of an effect in the Alps, but there are definitely a couple times where I'm pretty sure I was witnessing the bottom of a thermal swirling around up in the mountains. A rule of thumb that I kind of got into for myself is, you know, obviously on the Butte and Chelan, you've got to be very, very careful with dust devils because it's very prone to dust devils up on top there. You know, so leaving your gear uh, unattended or, or even being clipped into your gear and, you know, laying your glider out, it's always good to have people help stand around, and look out for dust devils while you're getting ready sort of thing. So what I've noticed... Or, or the, the kind of the rule of thumb that I kind of got into was if I was laid out and a dust devil came through, one, I knew the conditions were on and it was working, and two, you very, very rarely see two dust devils on the butte. There's normally just one. And when there's a dust devil on the butte, it's drawing the air into it. And so if I saw one, and that normally ends up finishing on the high point or in the car park there, if there's, a, if there's a dust devil there, I know it's a safe time to launch because it's not. It's very unlikely another one is going to be coming through if there's already one behind you. And it creates nice uh, nice wind for you to take off because it's drawing the air up on top of the hill. did have a really interesting dust devil experience. I think it was 2013. We were in Bulgaria for the, for the World Championships. A number of days we would go to launch and the forecast was... 9 to 10 metres a second from the north, which is over the back. And, you know, as a paraglider pilot, you, know, you don't generally go to launching conditions like that. And sure enough, they'd take everybody up there, everybody would lay their gliders out. The, the flags would be pegged down the hill, just completely unflyable. Everybody's scratching their heads, wondering what's going on. The task briefing would happen. Everyone would put the task in. And then some tornado-sized dust devils would rip through and take people's gear for a ride. Bags would go all over the place. And literally, minutes after those dust devils ripped through, the wind started coming up the hill, the launch window opened, and we'd run a task. It was unbelievable. And that didn't just happen once. It happened multiple days while we were there. In Chilan, people definitely use them. I mean, what you said about the minimum height above them, I think is very good advice. Yeah, for sure um, we use them. You know, when you're, you know, topping out a climb, if it's a blue day, you know, you're going straight towards the next dust devil every time. Another way we use dust devils in Chelan, you know, some days quite as active as others, depending on if it's rained recently, um, how hot it is. But you'll often, you'll see fields and I guess this is true kind of anywhere in the world, you'll see fields that have received a bunch of damage from dust devils ripping through. So if you don't actually see a dust devil, but you can see an area of wheat or crop that's been damaged significantly, then that's always a, a good place to go for a, um, for a climb. 
Um, another thing, this is kind of funny, I think it was the last task or the second last task in Chelan a few years ago, we had the start cylinder on the flats. Obviously, the first climb you get on the flats is normally not super high. It's kind of a chip shot to get you established. And then the first, the start cylinder was a few kilometers from the rim, so everybody was high and established. And there was one pilot that you could see, you know, the start was at 12.30 or 1 o'clock, so the sun was right above it. And you could see this pilot's shadow. And there was, you know, we're all thousands of feet above, but we could see this pilot flying straight towards this dust devil that we were above. And he flew straight at it, and you could see his shadow getting closer and closer and closer to him. And just before he got to the dust devil, he took a left turn, circumnavigated the bottom of the dust devil, and landed right next to it. We all saw it. We were all, I'm sure there was a hundred pilots. We couldn't take our eyes off him. You know, it was like, it was like, a, <laughs> I don't know what it was like. It was, um, it definitely caught our attention. I have a, a personal story of, of coming into land on the flats in Chelan. And I was, you know, on a hang glider, you know, full speed, well, not full speed, but, you know, I pulled in tons of speed so that I'd have a really effective flare and I flared, mm-hmm. and rather than stopping, I just carried on, and I, I tumbled the glider. And, um, and I couldn't work out what I'd done. You know, I was kind of like, mm-hmm. I didn't flare that hard. You know, how can you tumble a glider when you're coming in and you just flare? And then I talked to other pilots, and they went, yep, no, you were flipped by dust devil. It must have just been kicking off when you came into land. So, I mean, luckily I wasn't injured. I broke the glider a bit. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, the power of them at, at, on, on the ground is unbelievable. I'm not sure if you heard about the incident that happened on the Butte. must have been eight or nine years ago. But there was a hang glider that was, I can't remember whether he was getting ready to launch or whether he was, um, you know, he just set his equipment up and didn't tie it down securely. But it started spinning around. A dust devil took it and it started spinning around on the nose of the hang glider. It was spinning around like a top. There was a spectator up there, not a, not a pilot or, or not a, not even associated, it was just a, a sightseer, and he'd been drinking, and he thought he would go and assist, and that hang glider that was spinning around like a top just injured him really badly, so it was, it was unfortunate. I've seen them spinning like a top on top of the Chabre in France. I've also seen people injured while trying to rescue equipment from a dust devil. It's not worth it, it's only gear. The power of these things and the ferocity of how it'll take your gear, whether that's a hang glider or a paraglider, it is not worth it. Let it go. Half the time it'll get dumped somewhere and and it won't be damaged particularly. I mean, sometimes obviously. But it's, it's not worth chasing a paraglider that's being taken by a dust devil. I do have another little bit of advice, Judith. Mm. Something that I try to share with people when we do our cross-country clinics out there. You know, obviously the biggest hazard with dust devils is coming into contact with them close to the ground, whether it's launching or landing. And so if somebody's coming in to land, I try to suggest for them to land on the downwind side of a dusty field because then you'll be able to see it coming. Mixed in with all the dusty fields out there is a lot of sagebrush, and you can't see... While the dust devils will still be in the sagebrush, you won't be able to see them because they won't have the dust, as much dust in them. So 
So that's kind of just a, a tip I give to people. So then if you're on the downwind side of a, of a dusty field and something kicks off, you can change your heading to the left or the right and, and get out of the dust devil's path so you can land safely. A final bit of wisdom from cross-country guru Burkhart Martins. In his book, Thermal Flying, he gives the following bit of advice about flying into lift above a dust devil. When doing so, it is always best to enter against the turn direction, as this will have the wing pitch back, less dangerous than flying with the rotation direction and have the wing dive forward upon entry. He advises only experts attempt to fly anywhere near dust devils. My thanks to Matt Senior and Jesse Williams. We hope that you found this podcast educational and enlightening and you give dust devils a wide berth, um, especially near the ground, but that you're a little bit more clued in as to what they can do, how you can identify them and, um, yeah, know the power that they have. If you'd like to listen to other paragliding podcasts, you can do so by going to the podcast page at www.theparaglider.com. As well as PayPal, you can now also donate to The Paraglider via our Patreon page. Using Patreon means you can donate automatically whenever we publish a new podcast. You can choose how much you want to donate per episode, and down the line we'll be able to make exclusive content available to our Patreons. To find our page, just click the link at the top of any page on theparaglider.com. Thank you.